What is up, plebs? Back at it again with another conversation, this time with at Semulux. Semulux is a very early Bitcoiner. He founded a cybersecurity company and is very technically proficient. We talk about the early Bitcoin community, the beauty underneath Bitcoin's hood, what taproot means for plebs who just hodl, DCA, and run their own nodes. Lastly, Simulut shares some advice to starting the business you've always wanted to, or on taking action on your crazy idea. I'm very excited to share this conversation. It's technical. Lastly, looking for a new guest on the Bitcoin Plebs podcast. The purpose of the pod is to meet new Bitcoin friends, hear their views and stories about the orange coin, and hopefully allow the Plebs voice to be heard. The podcast is voice only and welcomes anyone and everyone who wants to chat Bitcoin. Just shoot me a DM if you're interested. Simulux, welcome on the pod. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm pretty excited to chat with someone who might have a better understanding of the technical side of Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not calling myself an expert, but I've been involved for a while. Yeah. yeah. Can I just get a bit of your background? How did you get into Bitcoin and why do you find it valuable? Um, I got into Bitcoin a long time ago, probably seven years ago, um, maybe a little longer, maybe eight years ago. And when I first got involved, I trying to never remember the name of the company. I purchased an ASIC because a friend of mine said he was gonna be Bitcoin mining, uh, my <laughs> friend William. And I was like, what the heck is that? And what are you mining? And he explained it to me. And I immediately went out and started looking over the source code and it seemed legitimate. It seemed like, I'm, I'm a software developer, so I felt like it was something I could look at. Um, I read a little bit about it. Um, and I bought the ASIC with him and set it up and we immediately began generating Bitcoin using the Elegius, I think it was, pool, which I don't mm. even know exists anymore. Because <laughs> um, it was the only pool that you didn't need an account on. Yeah. Uh, at the time. I don't, I don't know if it's still a thing. It's not, it looks like. It looks like it's, it's obsolete. But yeah, the, the idea of having an account somewhere seemed bizarre to me. I mean, it seems to be the, the opposite of Bitcoin. And at the time, at the time it was shortly after the financial bailouts, which mm. I was very disturbed by. Um, I think I was as disturbed as everyone else. Um, you know, I was a small businessman. I was not bailed out, but I was watching billionaires getting handed billions of dollars for making horrible mistakes and being dishonest. Uh, if I had made those mistakes and was dishonest in that way, I would have went to jail um, with my business. But instead of going to jail, they were just handed loans. Um, and just the idea that the government could do that at its discretion anytime it wanted was foreign to me. I, 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 I would, I've never, I would, I didn't know much about the way money worked or why money was worth. I had no idea about any of those things. But when you hear, you know, hear about billionaires being handed billions of dollars, you start saying, wait a second, I'm not being handed <laughs> everything. Like, like let, let me look yeah. into this a little more. <laughs> and then it turned out they do it all the time. That was, 
that was the worst part, really. It was like, this wasn't a one-time thing. They do this quarterly. <laughs> yeah, so it, it began to, that, that, was, that was, I think, the beginning of my descent down the rabbit hole. <laughs> that, that's incredible. I, I didn't realize I'd be talking with like, you know, such an early Bitcoin adopter. And, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about why Satoshi chose um, Chancellor on brink of, you know, bailout, something like that, talking yep, about right. bailing out those banks. And, you know, I was like eight years old during the financial crisis. So, right. you know, I, I didn't really understand um, why that was so egregious but now when you talk about it like that i could see you know that the people who caused all these problems are getting a ton of money and everyone else suffered like i was on wall street and i was down there with the occupy wall street people trying to explain to them why bitcoin was the solution (laughs) (laughs) yeah well can, can you just talk about what your you know first couple years in bitcoin was like because you know when i think back to those times like what was it, 2013, 2014? Yep. Um, it must have been so different than the community now. I got in in 2019, just for reference. Okay. Um, I'll say the, the big difference is really, it was far more um, focused on technical stuff than it is today. Um, I, I feel like, you know, like the, it was just a smaller community. You know, you'd, you'd go to a meetup, you'd meet some people, you'd sell some people some coins face to face. You'd buy some coins face to face. I did all my early trading with local Bitcoin in person at a Starbucks. Um, and, uh, you know, I was buying and selling coins at a Starbucks, um, you know, which, you know, if, if I had hit a certain volume level would probably be illegal um, because I'm not a money services business, right? Like this, this right. This, this is the, and, and you know what, it's still, a, I, I, I'm not, you know, this is not financial advice, but it's still a good business today. You can go buy Bitcoin on an exchange. And I can tell you right now, if you go in person and meet somebody, the price of that coin in person is always 10, 10% higher. I, you think about that, the ability to make 10% on a regular basis, like a, it's a great business and people have gotten sucked into it. And then of course the IRS comes after them and the Fed comes after them and they wind up going to jail for money laundering because they don't know the identities and backgrounds and they don't get driver's license and fingerprints of everybody they try to sell $50 worth of Bitcoin with. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is, um, this is what I've been, this is where I went. Yeah. And, you know, being so early on, I'm sure you have a better understanding of, you know, like Satoshi, Nit Zabo, Adam Beck, um, you know, these early cypher, cypherpunks. Um, it's, do you think your technical background and like being in that early community gave you a different perspective on Bitcoin? And like, what new insights can you share with someone who doesn't have the same technical yeah. background and who didn't get to experience those early years of Bitcoin. Right. I, I can tell you for certain, like that without my technical background, I would not have invested uh, my own personal money. I mean, I actually sold a house to buy Bitcoin. So <laughs> I, I, I went pretty, I went pretty deep. Um, I, 
if it wasn't for my technical background, I wouldn't have trusted the technology. I mean, what, why? It's very hard to trust what people are telling you. Right. It's fine. You know, all these smart people are saying it's, you know, it's really secure and game theory and blah, blah, blah. But if you're not actually looking at the code and understanding the, the peer-to-peer network that's behind it, I actually got in communication with that guy who started BitTorrent, whatever his name, Brahm something or other. Yeah. Who started BitTorrent, right? That's incredible. Um, <laughs> Tell me about this. So, so yeah, he sent me his paper, um, which later became some sort of proof of storage coin. Um, and I looked over his paper and I gave him some response to it. Um, but, you know, these, these people who are developing these protocols, they're extraordinarily defensive coders. They're uh, thinking with an adversarial mindset and adversaries for them include states. Um, and this is just their approach to code. Um, since then, I've actually gotten involved in a cybersecurity company. Now I'm, I'm working on a cryptography product, not, not cryptocurrency, but a, a proper encryption product for personal security of data. Um, using a distributed system. And, you know, we, we use the Bitcoin curve as our elliptic curve, and we use the BLS signatures and pairing cryptography, and we do, we, we use all the tech that was, that came out of this stuff, but it's, it's just for a personal security product. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I went pretty far into it. I, I learned a lot about it. I took classes in it. Um, I didn't feel like I trusted myself to continue to invest and develop in this space if I wasn't at least you know, if not an expert, at least, you know, competent um, at, at understanding how cryptography worked, uh, how elliptic curves work, you know, how, um, I guess in my, in my business right now, how Shamir's secret sharing works, um, mm. and these basic protocols. And I got into, you know, arguments in the Bitcoin developers forum with people who knew a lot more than me. Uh, I think Greg Maxwell explained to me the need for commitments um in uh in a distributed key generation um and i just didn't get it <laughs> it's like for a number of times like oh no and this stuff is not easy it's not even for someone who has a very technical background uh, as a math background a computer science background you know arguing with someone like greg maxwell who's a who, who is an expert and, and who's been doing right. it for a while um because i just didn't quite understand it yet and then you know now zoom out to somebody who has none of that background and their arguments are limitless. The, the, the less you know, the more you feel free to critique. <laughs> because, <laughs> right? Right. You know, whereas, you know, I, I was I was limited in scope to the things that I was unsure about. Um, you know, and I was corrected on certain fronts. And, and after a while, you start to realize that, you know, it's a simple, there's a simple fact. If Bitcoin works the way it says it works, right? Like maybe it doesn't, maybe it's completely broken and everybody's wrong. Right. If it does, then it is the first time we've had a permissionless and distributed monetary issuance thing. And I, I, it's, it's, it's almost as if it's a, it's like a force of nature. It's out there, There's, you can't stop it. And it was designed to be unstoppable at every level in the system. Um, a good example is people talk about Chinese mining and worry about Chinese mining, Chinese mining, Chinese mining. But think about this. Suppose every miner in China decided mm. to censor 
a particular Bitcoin address. That's a lot of hash power saying no to a particular Bitcoin address. What would the effect of that be on the network? And the answer, the effect of that that would be on the network is eventually some other miner would pick up that block. And when that right. other miner picked up that block, he would develop a proof of work and it would go onto the chain as the as the it would be the winning block. Statistically, eventually some block would be the best. At that point, all of the nodes in the network would agree with that other miner unless those nodes had been patched with the Chinese system that said, no, I refuse to build on this. I'm going to bind something else. And the network would fork. Yeah. Right? No, I, I'm following you. Yeah, it so would. The, the network would continue to function perfectly fine for everyone who disagreed with China. China doesn't own enough of the hash power to, so basically what would happen is you'd have a ledger which, which the whole world agreed was the correct ledger. And then you had another ledger which China said was the correct ledger. And other than now you'd have twice as much Bitcoin, right? Like well, right. I've got Chinese Bitcoin, and I've got American Bitcoin. Things, things aren't bad, I've just doubled my money. And the truth is because of the liquidity concerns in those two markets, most of the time coins like Bitcoin fork if you're quick to sell in the market that you don't believe in, you actually make money. Because it's very hard for Chinese people to sell Bitcoin in China when China's in the middle of banning and doing things. So you have to think through these scenarios. Like what if this happens? I'll tell you, if that happened, I would immediately make a lot of money. I would go find a place I could sell my China coin <laughs> and I would right. take my China coin and go out and buy Bitcoin. And I've done it every time Bitcoin forks. As soon as yeah. Bitcoin went to Bitcoin Cash, I immediately, that day practically, sold. And I sold it like 10% of my Bitcoin. I bumped up. Now, sure, it shot up to 20% at its peak. I could have made it worse. But now it's down at 4%. And the truth of the matter is it should be worth zero. And it still isn't. You still can. Any of those OGs can go out and make pick up 4% extra Bitcoin anytime they want to pull their crap out of cold storage and and uh, and and then and send over a transaction to the Bitcoin SV chain or the BCH chain or the Bitcoin gold chain. They can pick up another five percent, six percent, two percent here and there if they want. And when they do that, they will depress the value of the coin they don't believe in, and they will prop up the value of the one they do. And that's great. <laughs> Think about how yeah. that is permissionless. That's, that's amazing. That how resilient the system is to forks. That's incredible to me. It's never going anywhere. This thing is permanent, permanent, permanent. You can't stop it. The, the worst yeah. possible. Yeah. And that, no, when that, you, that, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. That, that, that's, that's, what, that's, that's what I believe in is the permanence. The, de the depth of its permanence is underestimated by many people. Yeah. And when you explain it like that, it's just so like beautiful the way it, the protocol was set up from everything I've read and listened to. And, you know, you said you're working for a cyber security or yes. like encrypt encryption company. Yeah, that's a comma. Yeah. And they draw some of their ideas and principles from Bitcoin. Do you, Absolutely. Do you have any idea how, you know, one person, Satoshi Nakamoto, like could, you know, create something so revolutionary and just transform the world? Because... You know, these types, like when you just explained how 
the network is uh, resilient to uh, forks. Um, you know, it's like, how did someone make something so perfect? It, it's, well, it's just it's, incredible. It's a, just a, it's a balance of incentives. I mean, it, this had been tried before. I mean, there was hash cash. Right. Um, you know, Adam Back worked on that, right? And, and there are, there are, it wasn't like he was starting from nothing. I mean, BitTorrent was already out and BitTorrent was a worldwide success. It was a wonderful peer-to-peer -peer network. And, and, and tell me the peer-to-peer -peer layer in Bitcoin was not inspired by BitTorrent. Of course it was, right? <laughs> this is, yeah. this is, of course it was. It, right. it, it was not built on nothing. It was built on building blocks that were available at the time. Um, you know, if you were to go back and you could say like, oh, maybe the hashing algorithm should have been different, or maybe the elliptic curve should have been different. But I think it, it, a lot of best practices choices and a lot of good decisions were made very early on in Bitcoin um, based on, you know, what was available at the time. And uh, it remains solid to this day. The nice thing about it is it's software. It, people always say, oh, what if quantum comes along and destroys Bitcoin? Well, there's two things about that. One is you should look up the, um, the IEEE article, The Case Against Quantum Computing. You should just Google that, The Case oh. Against Quantum Computing, because it. it's, it's written by a quantum physicist and he explains why quantum ain't going to happen. But let's say it does happen. Bitcoin software, worse comes to worse. We have quantum computing comes out. People can buy quantum chips at, at the 7-Eleven. If that happens, you know, Sometime before then, um, protocol will be developed to transfer wallets or do what you need to do or create a, a, a multi-factor security layer such that you require a quantum proof of some kind for your, uh, for your secret key. Um, and uh, you have a quantum private key and a quantum public key now and everything's fine, you know? <laughs> it's like they, right. They, why would you have to why would you say that that would break everything, would destroy everything? Bitcoin will be the first network to upgrade. It will be the most secure and best quantum system there is um, well before legacy banking systems and banking crises and websites and SSL are all busy trying to figure out how to get their stuff together. How could you beat, how could you beat six, you know, trillions of dollars? By the time that happens, probably tens of trillions of dollars in right. assets, right? There's not a small amount of money. The amount of, the amount of money and effort and, and, uh, and work that will go into securing the network in a quantum future for Bitcoin would be tremendous in that scenario. Um, it would happen, and, and, and it's all the best people. It's all, yeah. the types of people that are working on Bitcoin are, and, and to be fair, you know, people say altcoins or shitcoins and this and that. Most altcoins are shitcoins probably even almost all of them at this point. Mm -hmm. But the, and the reason why they're shit coins, and the reason why I say that not in a disparaging way, uh, and I, and it's a disparaging term, but what I mean is this, they're shit because they're not Bitcoin and they're not connected to the central ledger of the world. And they could be. Any protocol you develop as an altcoin can be developed on top of Bitcoin instead. And the fact that you chose not to means you're just trying to make yourself wealthy. And that's fine. People like to try to do that, but you're doing it in a way that's basically tricking other people into buying your coin. And that's kind of sad because you could have built that cool thing on Bitcoin. And some people are. And what I've found and what the world has found is that when you build those cool things on Bitcoin, 
they don't get an enormous amount of buzz. A lot of people use them, but since no one's getting rich talking about them, there's not a lot of talk. Lightning Network is slowly growing quickly. I use it. I went, I met a guy on Twitter who's a beekeeper and he said mm. he wanted to try Lightning out. And I said, sure. I said, can I, he said, I'll sell you my honey. I said, great. And so I used Lightning and I, he sent me a Lightning invoice and we, we set it up together. We chatted on the phone. We taught each other how to install all the right things. And I bleeped my phone and he got his money in a second. And I got my honey, you know, two days. I was like, that's what this is about. We, you can, this technology is, is, is wonderful and works well. And think about how many altcoins are out there trying to produce technology that competes with something that I just used and they claim that it doesn't work. I've been told lightning doesn't work by lots of people. And, yeah. and, and I've been told it repeatedly, but I just used it and it was great. It was easy. I, I got used Phoenix wallet is the, it's the easiest one right now. Someone said moon wallet's pretty good too, whatever. What I mean is that this stuff, this stuff is, there's, there's incredible developments that are happening on this permissionless decentralized system and they're moving forward very rapidly. And the best people in this space are not um, evangelizing it. They don't need to, they're just building, busy building cool stuff. And that's kind of how you know this is the real one. <laughs> that's another yeah. one, right? It's yeah, like no, I'm, I'm so <laughs> glad you explained all those things. Cause you know, I'm gonna read that article about quantum computing and then um, like, it's just so impressive to me, like all these things we're talking about and all the building on Bitcoin. <laughs> I, and I didn't mean to cut you off if you have something else. Um, okay. I can just go on and on. Yeah. <laughs> to me, to me, this is a, a, a revolution, revolutionary thing. It's like the invention of the fire. It's, it's something that's going to take off and it's taking off so big. People don't realize how early it is. That's the other thing. They're like, Bitcoin's so expensive. It's $30,000. I'm like, it is. You're right. And you know what? The number of times I've sold and regretted it, I can't count. I was in early. And a lot of times it would go up and I'd be like, ah, I'm getting out at 10000 I'm rich. <laughs> I'm getting out at three. I, if I were to not have sold all of that, I'd be a much wealthier man today. And I bought back in a number of times. <laughs> Like, you know, I lost more than I make in a year buying back in, you know, over and over again, going, oh, I was an idiot for selling anything. How many times have I said that? I think I, think I figured out how to measure how early it is. And, the and how is that? If it's still very volatile, it's early. When it's not very volatile, then you can start thinking to sell it for your groceries, right? Right. Right? That, like, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Once it's not volatile, then it's a good savings account. And when it's a good savings account, you can use it like you use a normal savings account. You can put all your stuff in it. You can take it out whenever you need to spend it. But until it's a good savings account, don't sell because it's still, it's still, <laughs> it's still going up. It's still got that crazy trajectory of, you know, 10x gains and 60% drops. And as long as it's still doing that, it's early times. It's a baby. 
I would say it's a teenager now, but still, it's it's still young and, and volatile. Right. It's not a toddler like it used to be. It's not drawing all over the walls, but it is still yelling at its parents and storming out the door from time to time. Yeah. And it's amazing to me to be here for all this innovation and to be here for this revolution. Because, you know, I, I think I understand that this has big, big implications for our future. And a pressing thing that I've had a lot of questions about is, um, well, after the taproot activation, I've been dying to talk with someone technical on what this means to plebs like me who just toddle DCA and run a full node. That That's about it for me. Does this mean anything to me or is this like a dev and people building technology on top of Bitcoin um, that it means more for? Right, I would say this, um, Taproot enables up to a thousand people or a thousand machines to sign a transaction. Um, it enables incredibly complex transactions with um, people who have to verify other people's signatures and it, it, it enables this complexity while also reducing the size of that complexity on the chain to less than it was before by a lot. Um, you can have incredibly complex transactions that have no different, no visible difference from uh, uh, from non-complex transactions, from simple transactions on the chain. They both take up the same amount of space and they're basically indistinguishable, which is incredible because that means that I could build, for example, a massive federated side chain or, uh, or a some sort of, um, I don't know, smart contract system. And I could, right. do, that. And I could do that on, in a permissionless way um, where new members are entered into the smart contract federation by acquisition of or burning Bitcoin or staking Bitcoin. I could use Bitcoin as the token that drives that network. And I could now have a per permissionless federation where everyone's incentivized to be honest because of the fees they're generating on this permissionless sidechain. Now that that's possible, the case for altcoins is diminished. And also the fact that it's possible means that there was never any, there's, there was never, the fact that it's possible and, and, and it's not like everyone's jumping out, running, racing to build it on top of it. And the reason why they're not doing that, I mean, it, there's already decent federated systems like Rootstock. Rootstock is faster uh, and, and, and cheaper and better than Ethereum in every way. But Rootstock didn't take off like Ethereum, why? because it doesn't have a foundation. It doesn't have a central company that runs it. it. Doesn't have a group of people who are being paid to sell it. It's a permissionless system. It's built on top of Bitcoin. And now that with Taproot coming out, you can even make it more permissionless. Um, so it's definitely something where um, it enables growth from a technology perspective, it shouldn't impact the average person as far as like, you know, yeah. you're not gonna start using the features right away. 
But I think, you know, if you're interested in this space and you want to learn a little bit more about like things like, you know, Taproot and stuff like that, mm -hmm. I would really encourage anyone who knows how to program, you know, high school programming. Right. right. Like, yeah, I've got that background. Every, everybody should by these days, I hope. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so anyone who knows just that baby stuff, I would encourage you to go to the Bitcoin GitHub page, look at the open tickets. And there are some tickets that are marked suitable for beginners. And most of them involve, you know, translating documentation or just, you know, helping, you know, doc, most, most of it's, you know, not highly technical. But you'll be surprised, even the easiest ones are still pretty hard. <laughs> right. And, and when you do that, you'll become an expert very quickly because your solutions will be critiqued, your code will be questioned, and it'll be questioned by a bunch of people who care about this. And you'll learn a lot in very little time. And maybe when you're done with doing that, you'll realize that you can contribute and that uh, you do have an idea or two, and maybe you'll meet a couple developers who want to build something with you. Um, yeah. You know, and Sorry. maybe it won't have anything to do with Bitcoin. Maybe it'll be like what, I, what I'm involved with is a completely different, you know, uh, system, but it's just using the Bitcoin tech. Um, that's fine. You know, I, I, I can tell you right now, if my company takes off, will it help Bitcoin? Indirectly. And I like that. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that is. And I'm so glad you talked about this. I was going to ask you later about, you know, what people, we might get to it, but um, yeah, I've been wanting to get into the dev space and I really want to build something on Bitcoin, you know, do something for the network. And, you know, I, it's always been too intimidating for me to, you know, when I hop on the GitHub and try and understand this stuff but i think you're right like I send you a link to all the easiest issues okay sweet that would be amazing um so um for this next question i i understand all the problems that the government has caused like human decision has caused our economy i i really feel that um and I couldn't phrase this question in a neutral way, um, but how do you feel about a Bitcoin future where math and code are how we organize ourselves economically? Um, is any human decision in the economy important? Um, here's what I would say about the way we organize our society. Mm. Um, think about what Bitcoin is. It is replacing the notion of, uh, or the need for a federal reserve or a reserve um, at, in every country in the world simultaneously, <laughs> which is, it's just like, what? You just, it's like, the, the, from, a, from a power perspective, it's right. as, 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 as if we, you know, it's, it's incredible, like the idea of shutting down or usurping the Federal Reserves of hundreds of countries and trillions of dollars with a bunch of hackers who are messing around with some code on GitHub is incredible to me, but that's what's going on. And you know, what's next? And 
you know, there's the, 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 the guys in the pirate party, you know, I don't know if you know pirate party, right? You know, you know, that group that get that pirate party. No. Okay. All right. So the pirate party, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a political party movement. It takes different forms. I don't necessarily believe or agree with everything they do in every place. Um, there's one in Iceland that I like a lot. Um, and there's different factions. But the central tenet is a more distributed political system where it is not dominated by uh, personalities and representation and is instead dominated by um, algorithmic participation. And yeah. I, I, I think, the, I think the, 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 the pirate party and Bitcoin have something in common. Um, Bitcoin is a pure financial balanced play. Politics can't be that. But as a, for example, um, an anonymous, uncensorable forum where people can communicate information um, on a global distributed peer-to-peer -peer network like Twitter, but purely distributed would be an example of something that could be a layer in a future where there are many of these global permissionless, you know, um, uncensorable systems that people are using to organize for political reasons. And I think that might be in our future. Um, it might be that people who organize that way have such superiority, have such advantage over people who don't, that they always win. Uh, a good example was the Obama mm. election. You know, he changed the game in social media with his whole, right? Uh, he was he was yeah. running he was running a new campaign. Um, yeah. Now presidents are all social media people and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party both have great social media enterprises, but the first one to do it had an incredible advantage. Um, this may happen again. And this just always happens with people. This is what we do. We invent new things and the person who invents them has a lot of advantages over everybody else. The people who understand it have advantages over everybody else. Bitcoin is like that for finance. I could see that that happening in government as well. Um, and there are people who believe in it. And you know, I'm not going to say there are any protocols or procedures I did wrote a, write an article on um, voting and how, mm. you could, how you could use public-private key cryptography and signatures to make a verifiable but plausibly deniable and, to, and secure an anonymous voting system. And this has been, a lot of people have talked about this, right? That's another example of a tech that could exist. Um, you know, and these, and then they can be built on these principles. Yeah. So I'm hoping yeah. that stuff will happen. Right. Me too. Because, you know, it's people cause a lot of problems, at least in my experience. And yep. it's, I don't know, you know, that's one of the things in the sovereign individual that was making me a bit nervous is this massive shift in like the way we organized ourselves. I have a hard time, you know, believing that it's going to be peaceful or without problem. And yeah. so it, it seems you've, it seems you've achieved like a great level of competency, you know, and the things you care about, you, you know, you've got an idea about the world, 
a successful career. I don't know if you have a family. Um, do you have any advice to young plebs like me who are, um, you know, just starting out and, um, you know, nervous about growing up into adults in this world? Like any advice for us? Yeah, sure. Um, if I look back at my life and I uh, think about what I regret and what I uh, succeeded with, um, I will say I never regretted making big moves. I never regretted quitting my job and starting in my own business, even when I didn't do as well or make as much money when I was running my own business the first two years. My third year, I did very well. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's going to always be that way. Make big moves. Break out. Do something on your own. You've got a crazy idea. You, everyone has a crazy idea. You've talked about it with your friends. Maybe it's a screenplay. Maybe it's a, you know, I don't know a small business of some kind. Maybe you want to buy the building you live in, but you can't afford it. Um, mm. Which, you know, I missed out on. I talked to my landlord. He told me how much the building was. I thought to myself, that's an ungodly amount of money. Back then it was $250,000 for a building in New York City. Now it's probably worth 4 million. If I had run around and asked my uncles and aunts and friends and relatives for everything I could do to get together the money I needed for the loan and I lied on the application and I fought and I got guarantors, I would have owned that building right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right? Like, right. Don't, don't give up on your crazy ideas. Just dig all the way in and finish it. That's it. That's the okay. Man, I really appreciate that because, you know, I've been wanting to do something and, you know, and I really appreciate that advice and I'll, I'll do my best, to, you know, think about my ideas and, you know, really try and make it happen. Thank you so much again for taking the time to chat. I learned so much. It's been fascinating. No problem. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs>